You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and the late 90s and early 2000s saw a significant bump in a specific type of music, pop music, but not just any pop music. This pop music is infused with a sweetness, sweet hooks, great dance moves, and some very classic groups. We'll be exploring all of that in this volume, Dirty Pop. Getting started with Chris Kirkpatrick from NSYNC. Some may not know that Chris was highly instrumental in bringing NSYNC together. A lot of the genesis of what NSYNC was about, how they were made, was formed through Chris. We dive into that. We dive into where the music industry took him when NSYNC finally closed in 2001 and what he's been up to since. So stick around. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to After the Encore, and I am here with Mr. Chris Kirkpatrick. Well, I never thought I would say that at all, but Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, and I'm excited to dig into your life and your career specifically because I think there are there's so much interesting stuff about you specifically as well as your career um, that I think is fascinating that I want people to know, and I think... You know, a lot of people may go, "Oh, that's the guy with the dreads from from NSYNC. Yeah, <laughs> the guy with the hair, right? <laughs> the guy with the hair." Yeah. But th- there's so much more there. So I really want to start off by asking a question that I like to ask different artists that come on, and that is, "What does music mean to you?" Um, well, you know, that's kind of a that's deep and shallow at the same time. It's, uh, I think, music means to me what it means to everybody. You know, it's it's a it's a release. It's a, you know, something that has always been around in my life. You know, my mom used to say I was singing all the time as a baby before I could talk. And I just, I, I loved singing. I loved everything about music. But I think, I think the, the crazy thing in my life is, is how it kind of followed me on all of my adventures. Like no matter what, what I wanted to do when I was in uh, sixth grade and wanted to be a marine biologist when I was in eighth grade and and wanted to do musicals when I was in 10th grade and wanted to be you know a police officer and, and in the military there was always this underlying thing that was always music and it was always you know whether it was uh, picking up a guitar and and teaching myself to play or you know arranging songs and breaking down songs that I really like and and you know basically surgically removing the the different parts and vocals and and trying to you know redo them on a tape recorder or whatever I had at the moment it just always you know there was always something a little deeper in music that I loved that was you know beyond the just let's play the radio and this is why I like this song. And, you know, there was always me going, well, why do I like this song? What is it about this song that I'm really, you know, that, that, that drives me or that makes me go, this is a great song. So, 
you know, I, I used to love breaking down the songs and, and, you know, dissecting them and, and figuring out how they worked, which, you know, again, transcends to, um, playing shows and then starting a band and then the band gets crazy. And then, you know, when the band's done, go back into the studio and, and now having more tools to break down the music. You know, one of my favorite things to do is to, to get a song and uh, run it through, you know, Pro Tools or whatever, and then just redo the song and see how they, you know, laid the bass down, what, how they mic the drums, you know, what pre's they used on the vocals, what were the backgrounds doing, what was this sound doing, how did they mix, how did they, you know, there was, there was always a, you know, a right, right brain side of me that wanted to dissect the music and really, see, you know, kind of see how it worked. I absolutely love that. And I love the deconstruction aspect of a song and, and figuring out what pieces work and, and figuring out why we love something we love. I think it, it was only recently where I recognized I did a self-evaluation of certain songs that I liked, which had on the surface zero correlation between them, but then recognizing they have the same chord progression uh, when I'm listening mm -hmm. to it and realizing, oh, this specific chord progression, which is just standard and not anything necessarily radical, is really pleasing to me in a way that on a this emotional, spiritual level that really resonates in a way I hadn't put together. So I absolutely love that you've been fascinated with that deconstruction aspect. That's phenomenal. Yeah, to, to me, it was the beats, the transitions, and the harmonies. Those were the three things that I always, you know, if it had a beat I really liked, if it had, you know, transitions I really liked, and if it had harmonies that I really liked, you know, that was the kind of song that I was like, you know, this this is exactly, if it had all three, you know, it's probably one of my favorite songs. Definitely. I absolutely love that. So let's let's talk. Let's wind the clock back a bit, um, back to your childhood. And I really love to know. So you're from the Ohio area, is that correct? I'm originally from Western Pennsylvania. Okay, so Western Pennsylvania. So let's talk about what life was like for you growing up. Was it something where you got involved in choir? Did you get involved in like a you know a junior high band? I know that you're the the oldest member of NSYNC, so I'd really love to know what was uh, your life like growing up in uh, in Pennsylvania? Well, growing up, I, 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 was born in, I was born in Western Pennsylvania, and, um, you know, we moved a ton. And when I say a ton, I probably couldn't even tell you, you know, at least over maybe 30 times oh wow in my life and i i couldn't tell you you know we i was an our uh, navy brat for a while um you know there was a lot of different you know from different houses in western pennsylvania different areas to uh we were in charleston south carolina we were in san diego uh when i was in sixth grade we moved to ohio and that's where you got the ohio i, I finished high school in ohio and even gotcha. in Ohio, we moved, you know, one, two, three, four, probably four or five times in Ohio. And, um, you know, so it was moving around a lot. And it wasn't till my high school years that I finally went to the same school more than one year or even more than half a year. So my high school, I went from freshman to senior in my high school. But other right. than that, there was there was a lot of moving around. But yeah, I always... 
you know, I think I think what got me into music is my mom. My mom's always been my family's very musical. My my grandpa was in a band. Uh my grandma was a, a an amazing singer. My great grandma was in a Christian band. Um my great grandpa uh was a big harmonica player and you know, musician and there was always you know, there was always this thing. My uncle's in a, in a band, an amazing singer. My aunt's in a band, an amazing singer. My yeah. mom is a great singer. They, uh, it, it was just always, you know, kind of what I was saying before when I say it followed me around. I think there's a reason it followed me around. You know, it was just always a part of our family. And it was just always, my mom was doing church. Like she'd organized church musical type things where, right. you know, she'd, do all the directing and, and musical teaching and, and all this stuff. And, and I really got into, you know, doing a lot of, uh, church projects. And then it wasn't until probably junior high. When I hit junior high, I got a lead in the high school production of Oliver. Oh, nice. And that kind of was like, you know, I, the acting was okay, but I wasn't a very good actor. But it was the music side of it and the musical director at the high school that I went to, or at the high school that I was doing the musical at in Pennsylvania was very um, opening to me and very like I've, I've always had a, a attention problem. You know, I never I couldn't sit still. I, cu I couldn't, especially when it came to music, because I can sight read and I can do all these things. And and when I'm right. sitting in a music class and, you know, they're having us rehearse songs like the first time I do the song I know the notes they're right in front of me so to have to keep doing it over and over again it's like I was falling asleep in my chair and you know in high school I got in trouble a lot and it was always just that those those guys in my life um and when I went to college there was there was another director that took me under his wing and understood that you know I was I was a little hyper and and that's why I was you know, kind of a bad kid because I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't challenged by anything. And he, he liked to challenge me with things. And, and that's what really, you know, kind of got me going. So when I did the, the musical that got me into it, then when I got into high school, they had uh, the, the four guys in the football team that were also in the choir had this quartet and they were doing like, you know, four part acapella stuff. And I looked at those guys and I was like, man, not only do they play football, which I idolize, but they're also doing these acapella songs and harmonies. So as we went through high school, when they, you know, graduated and stuff, I took over the role of, you know, starting these quartets. And and again, that's that's probably when I really started, you know, deconstructing the music and teaching everybody their parts and, you know, changing the parts and, and finding the nuances and the amazing chords that we would find doing that. And then doing that, it brought me to, I went to Florida with my dad, um, was just going to school and found a, a note on the bulletin board that they needed guys for the choir. And I was like, Oh, here we go. I guess I'll try choir again and got in a choir and started another quartet there. And that's kind of what led me to, find uh lou perlman and you know start the band right i i really want to I, I love that and i want to kind of go back just a little bit and yeah. talk about the fact that you uh 
the the deconstruction of songs and the harmonies and figuring out the pieces and the parts and then forming a group together to to reproduce these songs in new and unique ways is fascinating and i absolutely love that this is like the early the early um foundation for what uh, you're able to do later and so you know you driving uh, both of those kind of quartets um i want to know what um what kind of focused you around the so what this was uh, i believe you said this but this was all a cappella quartets right mm-hmm. both yep. both times okay got it so now getting those groups together um cuz i know that they're and here's the through point that i'm getting to is i know a lot of people um who have been in groups but may prefer to be solo artists for one reason or another um in high school or college or in general and so i am interested in your perspective on what was the draw there it is the draw for the group aspect in this type of situation yeah that's a that's a good question i think um I think the draw for me was the fact that, you know, and just to compare it to my later years, like the NSYNC thing, you know, in, in when you have a band, you've got four or five guys that each have a role in the band. And when I started out doing the acapella stuff, um, my role was my voice hardly ever changed. You know, I knew I had this really high voice. I mean... In eighth grade, I had to sit in the girls' section because I couldn't sing, you know, even tenor at the time. You know, I was an alto uh, singing in, in the choir, and, and the, the parts were, were so low that I never, I couldn't hit them. Now, thank God, I think my voice has probably changed in the last 10 years. But, you know, at the time, it was, I was this, you know, first tenor, you know, very high voice, and it just wasn't, you know, if I sang a song, it sounded like a little girl singing a song because I couldn't, you know, as low as I could get, it just still wasn't low. You know, it was still like, oh, she sounds pretty. You know, she sounds cute. <laughs> right, but, right, right. You know, I just, I, it, it's, it was kind of the whole team sport mentality. And, you know, it was always interesting that it, it was, the harmonies drew me. So the the harm the harmonic bands the temptations the four tops you know the the bands that really did all the harmonies and songs like those for the most part I didn't think about at the time that oh but this guy's singing the lead here but there's all the parts around it I just looked at all the parts around it and that's kind of what you know, really drew me to being into the band situation because I, I, I knew that, you know, I, here I was a a high tenor. Um, we had, I got another kid in the band. His name was Trevor. He was the second tenor. I had this kid, Philip, who was the baritone and my buddy Eric was the bass. And, you know, when we would do stuff, those songs were more, um, like, uh, church-like songs where, you know, you've got everybody singing the whole time. There wasn't a lead. There wasn't this. Right. It was just a four-part sure. harmony. So even when I moved on and uh, to college and started the band again, it was really all acapella, four-part harmony, not like, okay, this guy's going to sing lead and we're going to do the background. It wasn't until the sync days that, 
you know, we realize, oh, somebody's got to sing lead. We're not just all going to sing, you know, the whole thing. And I was blessed right. enough to have two of the most amazing singers and Justin and JC on the planet and some of the best, you know, other singers in Joey and Lance. And, you know, we had the five parts that I'd always, you know, grown up with. Plus now we've got, you know, a bigger package. I absolutely love that. And, and I think it's, it's really cool for me to chart kind of an evolution of someone's career. Was it something where, was there a situation early on where you wanted to be a solo act with or without a guitar or anything like that? Or was that just kind of not, not in your um, plan or in your, no, I did, I did, um, you know, when I first moved to Orlando, so I moved to Orlando when I graduated high school. And when I first moved to Orlando, it was, you know, again, the first month I was there, I found the choir and ended up, right. you know, in choir. And then I met a buddy of mine, Steve Burry, who was a singer-songwriter. And I was always just fascinated with that point of it. And I went, I'd go over to his house and we'd, you know, work on things and I'd start to teach myself guitar and you know that that was tough because when I was a kid I used to air guitar because I and I love Paul McCartney so I'd yeah. always air guitar left-handed so the first time I picked up a guitar and tried to play it I was playing it backwards and <laughs> it took me a long time like I even learned the chords backwards so I could play it left-handed <laughs> it took me a long time to realize you know I had to play right-handed but you know he was he was buried there was another guy Frank Bunn they were both in my in my choir and that side of it was really interesting to me because, you know, you got to remember that's when grunge first yeah. started coming out. I mean, that's when Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, all these bands were, you know, lighting up the scene with this really cool sound. And and I wanted to be a part of that. Now, granted, my voice, again, was so high and just wasn't like, like I'd try to sing that stuff. And my buddies would be like, yeah, how about if you sing harmony with what I'm singing? Because... You know, it sounds better when you do that, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, we do shows and I'd crappily play guitar while he'd play amazing and, and do the harmonies. And, you know, it kind of came uh, like an Indigo Girls type thing where he would sing and I still wasn't as good as either one of them and just do the <laughs> harmonies with him. So there was there was a time where I, I loved the singer-songwriter aspect of it. But obviously it wasn't it wasn't in the cards for me to be that type of musician. Sure. Sure. I'm just trying, I'm trying to picture, um, your quartet, uh, doing a version of like, come as you are. Even flow <laughs> on the horizon of fire. We would have tried it. We actually right. did like, I mean, I arranged, um, we did some Chicago stuff. We did ELO. We did um, we did just a lot of like '80s. I loved some of those um, ones with the crazy backgrounds, and we try to redo them. Actually, actually, it's funny for for a long time, I got into like African music, like Lady Smith, Black Mambazu, and that type of stuff because that. That stuff, like we did this song, Le Figile, and there were a bunch of like really cool Afrikaan music, but you know, they do every part. And it was like, so, you know, arranging those were so much fun because 
you were doing octaves of octaves. And at the time I could sing the octaves of octaves and, you know, we'd go in and, and there were just, when you, when we were talking about dissecting the song, you open it up and suddenly there's this world of music sitting there. You're like, how are they singing every little part? And one little part will do, you know, just, just off, just rub enough. But that rub makes the whole giant product sound so amazing. And, you know, yes, so Ladysmith yes. Black, Black Mombazu was probably one of my biggest influences when I really started, them and the Indigo Girls, when I when I really started understanding harmonies and, and working on music. I love that. It is, it's always fascinating to me just to, to think through why, like, like really even when you hear like a little, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the song it was. It it will come to me like at midnight tonight when yeah. I'm trying to go to sleep. But there's a song where there is it's it's pretty it's a pretty standard. I feel like it's a Goo Goo Dolls song where there's just a little guitar riff built in, and I couldn't tell why I enjoyed the song so much. And then I heard that little guitar riff, and um, um, oh, actually no, it's not Goo Goo Dolls. It's uh, it's an unwritten law song. Actually, um, mm -hmm. there's this um little piece um where it uh, I'll figure out the song later but it sounds like do you know those toys that were if you turn it upside down it goes whoop, whoop. oh yeah 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 so the guitar solo sounds like that and I just absolutely love it and I was like this song is not like groundbreaking but this little bit like layers the entire bit of the song in this atmosphere and so finding out those little pieces of music, whether it's vocally or musically that are, you know, layer upon layer upon layer, it's like a musical seven layer dip. I mean, it's fantastic. Well, and, it, and it's not even, you know, it's not even just in the being in the musical world, you know, even just being a fan, you know, you look at, you look at bands you listen to when you were young, you know, when I was really young, it was all about the Beatles, you know, I didn't even listen to top 40 music. It was just the Beatles, the Beatles, the Beatles, the Beatles. Then I started listening to top 40 music and then I got into like crazy like the Ramones and, and you know, really cool because the I, I loved 50s music and the Ramones were like this punk rock 50s band, you know, is what they sounded like. Yes. And I really got into like like that type of sound, the Penguins, the Turtles, um, all these all these bands that were cool in the 50s, 60s, because again, it was these harmonies and it was this whole... Mamas and the Papas, you know, to where the Beach Boys is is a huge one. You know, the Beach Boys, and and that's that's kind of an example of what I'm talking about. Like when you grow up, you don't understand those songs anymore, or there's bands you didn't like as a kid, and then you grow up and you love. And the Beach Boys were one that I loved, but to me, I was always like, yeah, but it's surf music. You know, the Beach Boys just made surf music. Right. And then I thought to myself. You know, of course, I, I lived. I moved to Florida, and I was surfing all the time, and and that's when it hits you. And I'm like, yeah, but what was surf music before Pet Sounds or before, you know, this song? It's like it's easy to say, uh, you know, one of the later grunge bands that comes out, and you're like, yeah, but you know, it's just grunge. Or you listen to Pearl Jam or, or Soundgarden, and go, yeah, but it's just or Nirvana. It's just grunge music, and you're like, yeah, but I remember having you know poison survivor motley Crue, all just putting out power ballads you know it was all just so power ba ballad heavy in like 90 and 91 and then this grunge comes out 
you know, I think Guns N' Roses was probably the closest that really, you know, could have crossed over because they had this, they weren't hairspray, makeup, you know, show-wise. And don't get me wrong, these are some of my favorite bands I'm talking about here. But when the grunge hit, you know, this was the first time in my life, besides for when the police came out, that you understand, you know, this is way different. This is not what everything else, you know, I think some of the famous um, metal or hard rock guys were quoted as saying, as soon as I first heard Smells Like Teen Spirit, I knew our time was done, mm. you know, because it was just this crazy sound. Right. And then and then it went so cr far the pop side of it went so far out there with Spin Doctors, Jellyfish, um, you know, all these, like, it It became what the 84 and 88 or the, the big 80 years were again. And this whole new uh, music type where, you know, now we're in a type, like, I think of music today and it's, there's not a lot of rock music going on right now. You know, there's still, there's a, there's a lot of great music, but... You know, I have to scramble to find, you know, some of the great new rock bands because, you know, now we're in this transition of, you know, if you look at the the way they go through the decades, we're going to be here this year. And, well, who knows with everything that's going on could really throw a wrench in things. But, right. you know, and probably next year. But then, you know, maybe uh, 2022 is going to be. I wish I knew. I wish I could invent it. Or I wish I could tell you right now, but it's going to be this thing that just drops and everybody's just like, boom, this is it now. This is, yep. and we're going to see all these bands coming out or find this little pocket of bands that's doing this sound. And, you know, at the time it was, you know, it was really, it was really crazy to see and to live through these transitions. So to kind of circle back to what I was talking about was, you know, growing up, the Beach Boys, I liked the Beach Boys, but I didn't appreciate Pet Sounds and these these records until I started really understanding music. Tom Petty, you know, I wasn't a big Tom Petty fan growing up, but when I started to appreciate music, I became a Tom Petty, Petty fan. David Bowie was always, David Bowie was poppy enough for me that I liked David Bowie, but I didn't really jump into David Bowie until I really started to understand music. And I think you know, it's not just being a musician, but I think being a fan, you know, everybody's got those bands that growing up, you know, I was one of those bands for a lot of people. I was in one of those bands. They, you know, it was a time of their lives and it takes them right back there, but they're not listening to that type of music now. They've probably got a whole nother direction that they're in. Right. I, I love that. Like there's a couple, there's a lot of things there that I, I want to dissect real quick before we pause for the end of this segment. But I... I really love the, first of all, what you talked about, about people that love the music that they kind of grew up on. They're not listening to that type of stuff now. I I mean, I grew up, I mean, the first album that I ever bought with my own money was No Strings Attached. I remember it was twenty two ninety five at Sam Goody in the mall. And, <laughs> and, but that's the music that I enjoyed and I grew up on. But now I'm heavily into blues music. I love Fantastic right. Negrito, Alabama Shakes, um, Reverend Sean Amos, who's been on the show before. I mean, I just really, and I, and that getting into their music drove me back to the blues music of the fifties and the forties right. and sixties and to where I'm seeing a lot of 
origins in other music that I liked, punk music and others and rock that was kind of laid in that type of kind of blues, uh, stripped away raw emotional music. So yeah, I love the the correlation of, of what you're into now and then you drive back and discover more and then you see the distinctions. But also I love, you know, you're talking about the decades changing over time. And uh, we had Todd Pipes on for volume one, who's lead singer of Deep Blue Something. And he talked about how when he when they were trying to get started in the early 90s, late 80s, somewhere around in there, they were billed as too, almost even too soft for a lot of the music. You know, well, you guys aren't really this. You're not really that. You don't really fit in. We can't get you airplay. Breakfast at Tiffany's hit it big and everybody wants to play them. Then they go on tour and they come back for the next album and all of a sudden pop music has changed. It's representing in sync and other acts. And so now it's like, well, you guys don't really have a place again, but for a different reason, you need to figure out like where your sound is at. And so it, it is Which that really changing. kind of sucks not to interrupt you, but that really kind yeah, of yeah. sucks too, because you know, who's telling you that what you're doing is wrong. Right, it's right. the labels. It's the big corporate, it's the corporate America that's saying, you know, um, your music just isn't going to sell for us and it's not going to do what you want. And it's like, how is that fair? Like, like what if, what if the Beatles had come out 10 years later? What if the police had come out 10 years later? What if, um, kiss or ACDC or, or these bands, you know, that, that have come out like, you know, there's, there are so many bands that I look back on and, they were so ahead of their time, you know, they were so, you know, either, and again, I'm, I'm saying come out 10 years later, but you know, they did, they all came out at the right time, but there were some bands that came out too early and, yeah. you know, you listen to those bands and, and, you know, like I said, uh, the, the cakes of the world or the, you know, the crazy, they might be giants or, you know, the, the, the music yeah. that was just like, people didn't, if if corp if corporate America couldn't find a niche for them, they couldn't use them, and they're like, you know, sorry, you know, go play your little shows or anything, which is probably what happened with grunge. You know, grunge probably went to someone, and they're like, you know, this is nothing like what's on the radio now, so we don't want it. Until somebody heard grunge and and people started loving it, then they're like, oh no no, now we'll sign you. Now I okay, now we see, yeah. you know, and it just kind of sucks that you know, here we are and, and, and we've always been, although now it's a little different because now we've got, now you can get your stuff out there on the internet. And, and if you put it out and the one thing that music is for sure right now is probably the most diverse it's ever been, which makes it hard for a really good rock band to come out or a really good, you know, whatever to come out because, you know, we're all caught up in this, so many genres of music that there there's we we liked it when we could put bands in their in their categories and now there are really no categories anymore now we've got there's so much crossover music there's so many artists that back in the day country music was like well we love this artist they're our favorite country artist but if they go mainstream we don't want anything to do with them you exactly know, away, you're not country anymore you're something else now it's if you're a if you're a huge hip hop artist and you don't do a country record with somebody, you know, they're going to be like, oh, well, they're not versatile or they're just, you know, they're so into what they're doing. You know, it's, right. it's almost a double standard anymore. And, 
there's really there's such a molding together of music which is a great thing but it's a lot harder when a lot of people are into certain styles of music to really find something and latch onto it but again now that they do that they find something and latch onto it what makes you know a kid from the grew up on a farm in the Midwest, just loved country his whole life because it's all he knows. Right. You know, but now if he still loves that country or whatever, and he hears the Backstreet Boys doing a song with Florida Georgia Line, he goes, oh, what's this Backstreet Boys thing? Let me look in. And he starts listening and, and he knows what he likes about that song. And he goes, oh, what well, kind of like this too? You know, right. and then, you know, you can expand your your musical taste so much more because there's so much more crossover and there's so much more, you know, to where some songs, again, you can't even categorize. Is it, is it, is it pop? Is it punk? Is it rock? Is it hip hop? Is it pure just uh, rap? Is it um, uh, EDM? What is it? You know, it's all, it, it's all so blurred together that, you know, it makes, music a little more fun yeah i absolutely love it and we are in a in a point in time where while it is more difficult as you were talking about for like a great rock band or certain specific types of genre to get out there it is easier to to almost say like i don't care if you corporate america think that well this isn't what's popular or whatever i'm just going to put myself out there yeah. and i have i have the means and the capacity to do it um even in some small way which didn't exist um 10 20 30 years ago and so but let's we're going to wind the clock back to that time period here in just a moment okay. uh you're listening to after the encore we'll be right back after this it's tearing up my heart Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. And Chris and I are, uh, I would say, getting in sync uh, throughout the course of this interview. <laughs> hey, as long as when, I, when I'm when i done, you don't say, okay, Chris, bye, 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 because I know you're waiting I on will, that one, too. I will not say that. All I'm going to say is that, Chris, you drove me crazy. Uh, I, I wish we would have uh, written a song called, hey, Chris, here's 50 bucks. Right. <laughs> that would be a fun little prank to play with people when you're in a, right. in a bar or something. Somebody comes up, hey, Chris, here's 50 bucks. <laughs> Hey, you like the song? Cool. Have a nice night. Right, Thanks right. For the money. <laughs> um, but I do want to dig into the the segment that people are most familiar with, and that is the let's talk about the NSYNC chapter of your life. So you're in Orlando at this point in time. It's what mid mid nineties, ninety four, ninety five. Yep. Um, maybe a little bit earlier than that. So you were working at what was it Outback Steakhouse as yep. a busboy? Is that correct? Yep. Busboy okay. then a waiter. I moved on Very to fry. 
There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Making your way up that corporate ladder. Right. Um, <laughs> and so I would love to know, um, with, so, so let's set the stage a little bit for people. So you're in Orlando, you're working there. Um, and also at the same time, we've got Justin, JC, they're on the Mickey Mouse Club with uh, former guest, Tony Luca as well. So they're, um, they're hanging out together. And I really want to know what was the, you know, you're taking your background of, your work with the quartets and and deconstructing music and and understanding that this is what you enjoy doing that kind of group aspect that team dynamic and walk us through the initial origins of how you got the conversation started with I uh, mentioned Lou Perlman and how that ended up translating into the early early stages of InSync. So a, a little before that time, I was at, uh, so when I first moved to Orlando, I, I went to school at Valencia Community College. And that's where I was telling you I was in choir and everything. And in the choir is when I started this quartet. And it was me, this kid Raphael, this kid Scotty, and my buddy um, Charlie. And we were all, we were doing like coffee shops and and playing like all these crazy shows and doing these harmonies and, and doing these songs. It was fun. And again, I love the music of it. And then here we are playing these coffee shops where somebody would get up with a guitar and, you know, play a song and people were like, okay, that's cool. And then somebody else would get up and, you know, sing a song or something. And then when the four of us got up and we do these like acapella harmony stuff, when we were done, people were just going nuts. And they're like, you know, screaming and standing up. And I'm like, wow, like not only do I love this and love to do this, but, you know, people love it when we do this. You know, there's a there's a big, you know, following for this. This will be fun to do. So one of the guys in my band that was mentioning Charlie um, was in, in choir. And there was another kid in my choir and his name was Howard DeRoe. And he, I don't know how, I don't know if how he tried out for the Backstreet Boys or what happened, but how he came in the, in the choir and was like, talked to Charlie and said, hey, this guy Lou is looking to put together a band. And he goes, he kind of wants to make it like the new kids on the block type band. So he wants me to come in and, and you know, find good looking guys or something that we could could be in this band which now is very creepy to talk about but very yeah. thankful that i wasn't considered a good looking guy because right. how he came in was talking to charlie and so charlie left my group to join this uh thing the backstreet boys and i remember when they came in with their headshots and stuff i was like you guys look like the new kids on the block and he's like yeah but we we're playing a show at downtown disney or somewhere and he goes and they've got all the tracks for us and he picks us up in limos and all this stuff like that and i'm like well that's not what i like that's not what i want i'm like we sing acapella we like you know doing our own thing we don't want to have any of this stuff so you know fast forward I, I graduate from valencia and i start over at rollins and that's when i started working at the outback and um I get a phone call at the Outback one day and it's Charlie and he goes, Hey man, um, so I quit this, that band that I was in because one of the producers was kind of a jerk or something. I don't know what he said. And he goes, but this guy Lou wants to start another band, you know, and I thought of you first and I'm like, 
all right, whatever. I'm like, I'm doing it. Let's do it. Yeah. So, you know, I still had this quartet that I was working with. So I brought them in with, and, you know, brought Charlie in with it. And we started rehearsing and, you know, I got to meet Lou and, you know, we do, you know, rehearsals all the time and I was arranging different stuff and we were going to go record it our first single at Shaq's house and the night before we were going to record Shaq's house. Yeah. Shaquille O'Neal. Like, like right. the Shaq. The Shaq. Oh yeah. Orlando. It's all Orlando. All right. it's all like, I was going to say, yeah, he was Orlando magic. Yeah. yeah okay. It's, it's all kind of uh, relevant now. And, yeah. uh, I get a phone. I was calling all the guys going, Hey man, we're going to do this. We're going to go record. We're going to go record. And the one guy that was in my band, his name was John, who actually I just did a video for a couple weeks ago. But he was like, um, yeah, man, my mom, my parents don't want me doing this. Because you got to understand, I was like 21 or 22 at the time. Oh, sure, 21, yeah. And John was like 13. And here's this 21-year-old guy going, hey, come on. We're going to go in this band <laughs> together and sing at Shaq's house. And, you know, understandably so, his parents were like, no, we don't we don't think this is a good thing for him, whatever. And I didn't right. sleep that night because I had to call Lou and say, we can't do it. I don't have the band anymore or whatever. And, you know, a couple of the other guys that were in my band were a couple of the guys. I don't know if you remember the band C-Note. I do not, no. Raul and Brody, they, were, they ended up being in another band called C-Note, which was, you know, pretty successful. And, you know, then all the time it was just this long, drawn out, rehearsals all the time i had full-time school and i had three jobs so i never slept but you know i just worked constantly i, I would sleep in my car doing homework at, the, at school or something and uh so all this time like guys started to go dude you were late again we're having rehearsals at your house and you're late and i'm like sorry i had to work late or whatever so this guy would quit then this guy quit and this guy quit and Charlie goes, you know what, dude? He goes, this isn't happening. He goes, I'm going to go teach golf and, you know, club med. And I'm like, no, dude, just stick with it. I've got this. So at one point, it came down to where it was just me again. And I always kept a relationship with Lou. And I always kept trying guys. And I'm like, I'm going to get you a band. I'm going to get you a band. And kept bringing guys in. And then finally, I was like, all right, I'm just going to make phone calls like that's the only I don't know what else to do I'm just gonna call up I mean I was going to karaoke places I was going to you know high school musicals or whatever and, and just just like to, anywhere to find anywhere people, to yeah. find you know any guy that wanted to to sing so so he had real quick it didn't don't yeah. interrupt you but so the so it was almost like um I don't quite know the the phrasing for it but it was almost like an open slot like if you can get the guys and they're good we got a band is that right. kind of the yeah, idea? Basically, okay. Basically, he was like, "I want, I want another band. I'm willing to do another band." But another thing that was really tough was, you know, Lou had had this little project. Now he was starting called the Backstreet Boys, and he didn't want anybody in his company or anybody associated with him knowing that he was going to do this other band. So everything that every communication, every time, you know. We'd go to dinner and we'd talk about like what was happening or I'd introduce him to, you know, some of the new guys or whatever. It was always just him and maybe like one or two people in his company. And they were always like, you know, don't say anything to anybody about this. We want to keep this quiet. And that was just kind of like my first introduction to the, you know, kind of FU moments of mm -hmm. the business side to where it was like, you know, 
I, I want you to <clears throat> you to do this, but as soon as you do this, I'm gonna put money behind this and take credit for it. And you know, yeah. To me, to me, you know, you're starting out. It doesn't matter. I'm gonna work my ass off. I'm gonna, you know, find these guys. So I ended up after a long time going through and just started calling agents. And I called up like 19 different agents and I got one phone call back and I, I go to this place called Studio Plaza in Orlando and I go up to the guy and I'm like, yeah, here you got a guy that, you know, wants, you know, is, is looking to do some music and, and wants to be in a band. He goes, yeah, and just toss a manila envelope to me and, you know, didn't even sit down and talk. He's just like, here you go. See you later. You know, because here I am this punk kid. I think I had right. lines shaved in my head at the time, too. And I was like, perfect, you know. 18 earrings or whatever, you know, <laughs> bright blue hair. I don't know what I had, but he's like, yeah, here you go, you idiot. And <laughs> I get in my car and I pop in this tape and I'm like, man, this kid's got a good voice. And I look at the headshot and I'm like, Justin Timberlake. I'm like, who is like, is he Indian? I don't know. Like, where's this kid from or, you know, whatever. And, and so I'm like, this, this kid's got an amazing voice. So I told Lou, I said, Lou, I think I found a guy, you know, at least a start for the band. You know, can you call his mom and him and let him know the situation? And Lou is basically like, this has nothing to do with me. I don't know who you are. Oh, my God. Yeah. You have to do all this. I mean, it, there was there was points where there were guys in my band. And this there was another guy, too, that was kind of still in the band. Uh, two other guys, actually, this kid, Ryan, and uh, this kid, Brody that Lou didn't like. So here I am scrambling to put this band together and Lou didn't like them in the band. So he told me to kick them out. And it was like, I was like, yeah, but this is my band. These I, these guys are great guys. I get along with them. They're great singers. They're great, whatever. He goes, yeah, but I don't like them, so I want them out. And I'm like, well, then tell them they're out. And he's like, no, you tell them they're out. It's your band. So he would even drive me and, you know, he's still a buddy of mine. I want to get him on my show. But uh, Brody, I remember sitting in the car with Brody and he, we pull by his house in the car and and Lou says, hey, uh, Brody, Chris has something he wants to tell you or he wants to talk oh to my you God. about. And I was like, God, like this sucks. Like I had nothing against him. I think he's a great guy. I've always, you know, been friends with him and. You know, so here, here I was having to kick him out, and and it just really sucked because, you know, I I knew at that point like this is my project, this is this is my baby, but I've got a financier who thinks it's his and is is over me with the strings and the puppetry trying to make me, you know, do everything he says and then taking credit for it if it if it blows up. Right, and to your and to your point, not even to to do that, but to set the stage for those who are not aware, Lou eventually was he went to to jail for um, I forget the exact Ponzi. phrasing, but for yeah, thank you, Ponzi scheme, and for taking money from groups like yourself and the Backstreet Boys. Um, so so that just plays into this this dynamic. Of, right. Well, I'm going to take credit for stuff if it's successful, but I don't want to get in the works with it. So I just wanted to set the stage for those who weren't familiar. That's where that story ends up. Um, so it, it makes a lot of sense looking backwards why he was making you do the things he was making you do based on you know what ended up happening. So anyways, so Brody he acts he had you axe Brody from from the group at that yep. point. 
Yep, basically. And okay. then um, you know, it was actually after after I got Justin, but you know, the timing on it doesn't really matter as much. Gotcha. But, so, you know, I here I am calling Justin's mom again, like I called with um with John's mom. And it's funny because John is actually a musician now who was the the kid that quit right before Shaq's house. And his brother <laughs> is uh Luis Fonzi. You know, do you know Despacito? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Luis Fonzi's his brother. Oh, my God. Who was in Whoa. a quartet, who was in a quartet with this kid, Joey Fatone. So, <laughs> so anyway, so here, here, I, I called Justin's mom and I'm like, listen, I know this sounds creepy and weird, but I'm a 22 year old guy, 23 year old guy that wants your 14 year old son to come back from Memphis to Orlando to join a band if he's interested. And and now I did say I did say that there's a guy that's willing to put money behind this if he's interested. But I mean, just that cold call alone was yeah. so. To this day, we still joke about it. But and then that's when she suggested she goes, "Well, there's another kid, JC, that was on the Mickey Mouse Club with him, that Justin's been doing some writing with and stuff." And I'm like, "Hey, at this point, it's basically just me. So if he's got some guys, bring him in." Right. So JC and Justin came down and, uh, you know, we all hit it off and, you know, we're like, all right, we got three. And then that's when we had to, we had four. And then that's when Lou said, Brody, I don't want Brody in. You're going to have to kick him out. And I'm like, well, no, because now we have four. And he goes, no, no, I'm telling you, if you want me to be behind this, you have to do this. So, so then it was back to three again. It was me, Justin and JC. And they came down. And we were at a club one night and bumped into Joey and his brother. And we were still looking for guys. And I was like, hey, what about Joey? You know, because I knew Joey from his group with Fonzie at this school because we both worked at Universal together. And I was like, what about Joey? And Justin and JC knew Joey because he used to go to the Mickey Mouse Club tapings. So there we got Joey in. So then it was the four of us. Joey brought this kid, Jason, in who was in his quartet because we needed a bass and we were rehearsing. Everything was great. A couple months. We had some amazing songs. The sound was great. Then we're sitting in the living room and Justin's mom came in and she goes, because we were trying to find a name and Lou had all these, Lou wanted to name it, but Lou was like, how about five young boys? And we're like, yeah, that's not a good name for a band. You know, there's something about it. It just so, seems wrong. Yeah, so so Justin's mom walks in the room and she goes, I've been doing some weird stuff with some names. And she goes, I noticed that all of the last letters of your first name spell in sync. And it was Justin for the N, Joey for the Y. No, Justin for the N, Chris for the S, Joey for the Y, Jason for the other N, and JC. So she'd taken all our last names and she goes, the last letter of your first name spell in sync. And we're like, all right, let's go with that. I like it. And then we were going to sign a record deal with Lou. And the night before we signed the record deal, I was driving Jason home. And Jason said, yeah, man, this isn't for me. This isn't like, you know, I'm not really into this bubblegum type thing, which I totally understood because that's kind of what we were pushing towards all of a sudden. So Jason quit. So then it was back to the four of us again. Four of us were a band for about maybe another year or so. And we were still, we knew we weren't finished. We needed a bass. And 
uh, one of Justin's old vocal coaches in Memphis was traveling to Mississippi and said, I've got a kid uh, who's got a great bass voice. And that's how we found Lance and Lance flew in and the rest is in sync. <laughs> right. So now walk me through, you know, I want to kind of hit on the, there are several albums, but I think probably from a U.S. fan's perspective, there's three familiar with. So the self-titled album, um, the No Strings Attached, and then also Celebrity. Um, uh, so I would love to do, of course, there's also the Christmas album. Um, there was the U.K. album before the American one. There's a lot of different ones. Um, but I would love to kind of talk about what was the, that kind of first, because y'all, if I recall correctly, Y'all started off in UK, got pretty big, and then came back to America. Is that correct? Uh, no, we actually started in Germany. Germany. Yeah, Germany. I knew Germany. it was Europe. Okay, okay. It was so Europe, was... but yeah, it was Germany. Okay, gotcha. So There's what was like it different like? territories. Yeah. It's like, at least at the time, I'm sure it's still kind of the same, but you know, there was the, the gas territory, which was Germany, Austria, Switzerland. Then there was the, the Norwegian, you know, the Finlands, the Sweden, the Switzerland. And then the UK was kind of UK, Ireland, Scotland, you know, all the UK countries were their own kind of thing. And then there was Canada, then there was Mexico, and then there was the US. Like those were the markets. And, you know, we started in Germany, Austria, Switzerland. Then because we were over there built up in, you know, in Sweden and Finland and Norway and and Amsterdam uh, or Holland. And then we went, went Spain, France, um, all those. And the UK, the UK was a funny one for us though, because we never really broke the UK because the week we released our record in the UK was, uh, the week that Princess Diana died. Ah. So we released our, we were about to release our record and that happens. And it was like, well, there's two album sales we're going to have this week, you know, and not to, yeah. not to put, obviously that's more important, but timing wise, you know, it was, it was yeah. bad timing on our parts. And y'all released the um, that first album uh, in Europe, and then, if I recall correctly, it was then released in America with some adjustments. Um, so, but I want you back was that f that the, that and tearing up my heart, I believe, were the main singles um, off of that that I can recall remembering. Yeah. So, walk me through what it was like um, recording that first album releasing those singles and then starting to build up that reputation. Um, and then also um, the moment when uh, you kind of realize you've almost transcended pop music and now you're at a different echelon. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if we ever thought we were at a different echelon, you know, it was always just sure. the crazy thing is about, you know, even overnight success stories, there's not, it's not overnight. Right. You know, but we were, we were in Germany, Austria, Switzerland for a couple years, you know, doing, we, we opened up for, um, DJ Bobo, who was like this big German artist. He was like a MC hammer kind of at the time, but for Germany, we opened up for him and then we did our own tour where we were averaging, you know, four or 500 kids a show. And it was, it was a grind. I mean, especially then it was, you know, early, early mornings and late, late nights and, and photo shoots and radio interviews and radio shows and TV shows. And I mean, it was, it was a constant hustle. And when we were over there, cause you got to remember, we'd go over for like two months, three months at a time. And that entire three months was 
all right, you have a photo shoot tomorrow, 8 a.m. till 5. And then at 5, um, you have to go do a, two radio interviews. And then you have a TV show at 8. And then we're going to do some press at the hotel from 10 to midnight or something. Then wake up the next morning and start all over and do maybe a radio show in the morning. Um, you know, maybe our own show or we'd go on a do a festival or, or whatever. And it was, it was, we were young, so we didn't need sleep, but we never got sleep. And right. I, I remember one time, I think it was after being there for, we were over there off and on for about a year. And my mom saw me and my mom was pissed because she goes, you know, you're pale. You're the thinnest I've ever seen you. It doesn't look like you've eaten or anything. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm having fun. And so, you know, we released our first single over there was I Want You Back. You're all I ever wanted. You're all I ever needed. Yeah. So tell me what to do now. Cause I want you back. this really weird like green screen video for it that yeah. was like so bad but at the time we're like oh my god it's a video and here we are on Viva in Germany which is like their music video shows and you know it's you're hearing yourself on the radio you're seeing your videos on TV and you know the buzz started to build a little bit and it started to be this whole and we do we did our own tour and we we had uh, I think I think Tearing Up My Heart came next. And then I think we released uh, Here We Go, maybe. And then there was like maybe a cup, maybe one ballad or something. We Oh, yeah, For the Girl Who Has Everything. We released oh, yeah. over there. And, and it was still kind of, you know, we'd go over there and be kind of, you know, not huge, but a big deal. And what made it a bigger deal was the fans over there were so passionate that they'd be sleeping outside the hotels and stuff. So even though we were one of the the C-list or B-list bands on the tour or whatever radio show we were doing, there were all these kids outside waiting for you. So you felt like a superstar. You know, you felt right. like, well, we can't even go out. Like kids recognize us and and stuff. So, you know, we kind of did the gamut over there and we're still torn around. We were doing, we started doing the bigger shows over there. And the next thing you know, we were doing a show in Poland and the guy shows up. And uh, Vince DiGiorgio, and and he comes in after the after the show in Poland. And he goes, um, I think I can bring you guys to the states. And we were like, Wait, what states? 
And that's when we got introduced to RCA in the States and we signed a deal with them and you know we we reshot the video for uh I want you back. Used the same video we had for Tearing Up My Heart. And in the States we released Tearing Up My Heart first. And then we released the reshot version of I Want You Back. And then it we did we started to gain a little bit of momentum in the States. We were still going to Europe a lot, you know, because that's where our bread and butter were and that's where they knew us more. And then we did this little Disney special. And it wasn't until we did the Disney special that it was like it was like you're we were sitting in our seat and the next thing you know, the seat be came a rocket ship and it just took off and suddenly we were just holding on going you know people know who we are in the states and then it wasn't just people know who we are it went from us getting on a plane and one girl going and i think it was la or something one girl going hey those are those guys and we all stopped on the jetway we're like wait what you know who we are you're american and you know who we are and she's like yeah you're on the disney special it went I from, saw that. I had that on a VHS uh, for so long. Yeah. Side note. So it went from <laughs> it went from that one girl saying that to the next week, you know, crowds of people just like, oh, it's them, it's them. I'm like, what? Ha like, what's the difference? We haven't released anything new. It's just this Disney special came out and it just went gangbusters from there. So, yeah. you know, I think as America goes, our big success was when we did that Disney special. Definitely. So now you've got, you've, I mean, that resonates with me. And, you know, I was thinking about that because I went, that was the time where I was already familiar with your music, was listening, was a big fan, saw that there was a Disney special, had to record it, recorded it. And I wondered if that correlated with an increase in attention or if it was just, you know, you know, sometimes you're a kid, you're like, this was the moment and I remember it, but you're like, was it just my mind revisionist history or was no, it that really was that? The, so that's yeah. exactly how it happened. That's crazy. So now walk me through, kind of fast forwarding just a little bit, you're getting back in the studio to record No Strings Attached. So walk me through what that was like for the sophomore album. I know a lot of times for artists, it's difficult with the sophomore release, but for y'all, you knocked it out of the park. So I would love to know kind of the approach and the strategy for that particular album. Well, it's it's almost like to me, like being, being a... a like if if your favorite team is in the Super Bowl, you know, watching the Super Bowl, you're on edge the entire time. You're freaking out. Your team's there. You want them to win and you've done all this because you're there and it's all fun as opposed to going back and watching that Super Bowl on replay. You know, at the time when it was all happening, like looking back on it, it was like, you know, insane. It was so crazy. But looking back on it, it was probably the scariest moments of our lives because you know everybody knew that the sophomore album makes or breaks you like either you're going to be a one-hit wonder or you know not and not only were we dealing with the sophomore slump and the and the fears of this record being accepted or not and getting the right songs and and us writing songs and working on tracks but that's when everything with with Lou kind of hit the fan because we were in Europe and our record label over there who, you know, we'd basically signed through Lou who signed through them, who signed us to RCA. So it was this chain of command and we're over there and, and they were doing this big, uh, gold record award ceremony where they were giving us gold records. 
And they were also handing us these giant checks for all the work we've done. So we get in there and we go out and we get the gold records and they walk out with the checks and they're like, and here is $10,000 each. And what? Yeah. And I looked at Justin and Justin looked at me and we were both like, oh my God, we got $10,000 for doing something we love. This is yeah. absolutely amazing. Plus, not to mention, I was getting like $60, $60 a day for per diem. You know, it's <laughs> like, I am rich. I had no money growing up. That's the most money I'd ever seen in my life. So I was freaking out. Justin and I are high-fiving. And JC, who's the level-headed one, was like, so let me get this straight. We've been touring and, you know, doing all this stuff for two and a half years. And we have a check for $10,000. And we're like, yeah, isn't that amazing? And he goes, how much money did you make a year at the Outback? And I was like, like, oh. <laughs> oh, I see. I see mm -hmm. what you're saying now. I get, oh, I get it. You know, and that's when that's when um, we were like something, even, even Jan Boltz, who ran uh, BMG Areola at the time, was like, he came to us. He asked to see us without Lou, without anybody. And he walks in the room and he said, listen, we're going to give you guys a check, but it's not worth what you guys have been doing. Like it's you guys need to figure something out because you're getting royally screwed over. Yeah. And, you know, he was and here's the guy at the label who knowingly and, and again, this goes to Bob Jameson at RCA as well, who was who was talking to us through all this, knowingly told us that once we break the chain of command with Lou, we break the chain of command with everybody and we're free agents. So if we could get out of this deal with Lou, you know, we're free agents. We don't have to go to them. We could get giant signing deals with whoever. And, you know, basically that's kind of what we did. We broke the chain and, and that's when we went with Jive. But so, you know, that record, there were, there was so much going on with that record that, you know, sleepless nights and, you know, I think the one thing that was awesome, though, is, you know, the five of us were and even though now it's a weird kind of family, but we've always been, you know, brothers. And we always knew that no matter what happened, no matter how this, you know, finds itself out, we still have this band and we've still got each other. And if we have to go back to the drawing board, we've done it before. We can do it again and we can still, you know, be successful. So, you know, it was looking back it was it was crazy and fun but at the time it was i had no fingernails no sleep you know it was yeah. it was really scary cuz you know you don't know if your team's going to win but after you they win you want to watch it a million times right and i and you've got those huge singles as well off of that album bye 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 it's going to be me <laughs> course you've got god must have spent a little more time on you um so no i'm sorry that was the other one uh no 
uh, that was. I'm getting my albums mixed up. I, um, I, have, I have no idea. So you can tell me one song is <laughs> on one record. And... <laughs> this I promise you. That's what it was. This I promise you is yeah, what I was I thinking of. Um, so, but but you've got those giant singles um, written by Richard Marks, by the way, which was almost a guaranteed hit because he did it. Visions around you bring tears to your eyes, and all that surround you are secrets and lies. I'll be your strength, I'll give you hope, keeping you. Right. So walk me through what it was like going on tour, touring for that album and just seeing the crowds and crowds of people and just this in sync mania, because I, I all, I feel like it was slightly different with some of the other pop groups that were around and that not that they weren't popular, but it just felt like that album and those singles are what kind of catapulted y'all up to this kind of zeitgeist of, of everybody's, um, uh, like minds. So I would really love to know, like, what was it like being in that moment of chaos? Like almost, I think, I think it was, Again, looking back, it was it was such just work, 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 you know, and and everything happened in in slow transitions. You know, it was it was from opening up for somebody in Germany to having our own small tour in Germany to starting to do these bigger tours in Germany to coming to the States and doing, you know, small, a small little tour again, where mostly because, again, how I said that the regions go. We were skirting Canada and skirting Mexico. You know, we were big in in Texas area. We were big in Southern California. We were big in in Detroit, in Seattle, and we did a lot through Canada. And once we started doing that, it was the next thing. You know, then we moved to arenas, then sheds, then stadiums. You know, it was this. It it was such a next step type of career that don't get me wrong i'm not taking any of this for granted going you know everybody does this or it's it's easy to do but it just it just the it just kept building and building and building and it really didn't stop until we stopped you know that was the that was the first time that it just like cut off was when we said all right we're taking a break and you know it was um Doing starting to do the arena tours was unbelievable. I mean, it put everything into perspective. I mean, here I was, you know, you don't realize like the stupid little tiny things you do that 200 people are, grab onto, you know, and are like, this is, this is the greatest thing. And you're like, I just tied my shoes different, or I just found a necklace that I liked and wore it. Or, you know, you don't, you don't realize that build until you're in that moment. And, you know, when we started doing those shows, it really became, 
you know, a big thing. And here were, here were artists that we loved coming to our shows or bringing their kids to our shows or doing these things. And just like, you know, what, why are you here to see us? Like, this is just like, we've been doing the same thing for five years. And now like, you want to come to ours? This is crazy. So right. it was, it was so, um, it was so humbling, but so almost ego driving at the same time, you know, it was, and, and we changed, like there was a lot of things we do where, you know, we'd get these little attitudes or something, but, but again, going back to the one question we asked a long time ago about the difference in a band and a singer is in the band, you've got four brothers that are always checking your ass. You know, they're always like, listen, you're being a dick right now. Knock it off, you know, or you're getting a little too big for your own shoes. I'm not saying these things. Justin's not saying these things. Joey's not saying these things, you know, stop saying these things or stop, you know, acting like this person. So we all kept each other in check and, and because of that, every, every show we did, you know, there's, there's probably, you know, half dozen moments in every show. And, you know, you were doing 40, 40, um, arenas around the country and every arena you would see half dozen moments where a couple of us would look at each other like, can you believe this? Like, this is what, this was that little group that we used to find good acoustics in a bathroom to sing a cappella together. And now we're in a stadium, you know, or in an in a arena playing these shows. So it really became like, like, wow, the, the dream that you have, because when you do anything, if, if you start to be anything you want to do, you think you're going to be huge at it. But at some point, something happens and you go, well, but I'm still going to love what I do and do what I do. It just kept happening for us. Like it just kept going, you know, we're selling out arenas and we're doing what we love to do with four guys that we love being with. Like this is, it's almost unfathomable. Like if I could go back and win the lottery for a million dollars or a hundred million dollars or do what I did again, I would do what I did again in a heartbeat. You know, it was, it was one in 3.4 billion, you know, it was, it was, it was so unreal. It was, it was almost unbelievable. I love it. So now you talked about things didn't really stop until y'all called it quits. So you've got, or took a break and then, um, you've got celebrity, right. Called it quits. <laughs> Um, you've got celebrity that comes out in 2001. You got dirty, dirty pop off of that. You got a couple other hits as well. Um, you've got gone. What was it? I do have to ask real quick though. What was it like doing the, um, some of these collaborations, like, uh, doing girlfriend with Nelly? What was that like? Um, well actually girlfriend was with a Pharrell. Like, I mean, Nelly, Nelly's no, Nelly's on the rap. Nelly does the rap, but Pharrell, but Pharrell did, uh, that was the, the that was the uh, first okay. part of the, that collaboration that blew my mind because I'm like, oh my god, yeah, you know, yeah. here's this guy Pharrell, and he wasn't really Pharrell at the time. He was Pharrell, but the Neptunes hadn't come out, and Nerd, and all that. And right. um, I, you know, again, here we were. Like I'm like, this guy, this guy is like the whole pack. I knew Pharrell was going to be huge, you yeah. know, and here he is working with us and giving us this amazing, amazing song. Would you be my girlfriend? Uh, hey, hey. Uh, would you be my girl? 
comes on to it and it was just like oh my god like you know country grammar all these like nelly was uh, was big at the time and and it was funny because we had a couple songs that i remember when we did space cowboy we were looking for somebody to do the rap part on that and the first person i went to was somebody i got to meet and idolize and it was buster rhymes and i was like you know i was like hey man listen we've got this new record and i think that was on the no strings record Yes. And I'm like, we've got this new record coming out. And, you know, he'd only known us as that little boy band or whatever. And, and you know, he was a great guy. Like, he was always like, oh, my man, Chris Cribb. Love you, Chris Cribb. <laughs> and uh, so we're like, hey, do you want to do this rap? And, you know, he was kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of busy, whatever. Let me, you know, whatever. So we ended up getting uh, Lisa Left Eye Lopez yeah. to do the rap on it, which ended up being an amazing thing because she was awesome on it. After that record dropped, I was walking into a hotel and Buster Rhymes was in the hotel and he came running across the room and he's like, Christian Crib. He goes, if you do another record, I will tap dance on that record. Let me know. And I was like, well, that's awesome because you're like my idol. That's why I right. did the braids because of you. But um, that's awesome. Yeah. But it was, it was, Nelly was such a class act. He's, he was so cool and like, to have him in the video and to um to do um when we played a couple shows in New York he came out and performed performed the song with us and it was just like I mean at the time he was you know one of the biggest rappers in our genre in that whole pop thing so it just made sense to have him on it and and again just you know any collaborations we did when we worked with Gloria Stefan we worked yes. with Phil Collins Yes. You know, we worked with Michael Jackson. You know, there were yep. all these guys. We worked with Stevie Wonder. You know, people that it was just like, like the shows. It was like, I mean, this is great, but why are you doing this with us? You know, this, you are like this untouchable human being. And here you are, you know, singing these songs with us. But, you know, it was all, that was, that was the moments that, you know, we looked at as, you know, I think we've made it. And I think we've actually done something 
close to what we wanted to do. Yeah. I absolutely love that. It's so fantastic. And so you've got celebrity. What was it like for you when y'all made the decision to quit? What was it like um, having that record come out, celebrity, uh, touring for it, and then moving on to the next phase, which was the end uh, at that point for NSYNC? Um, well, th- the crazy thing was, it was like, you know, 10 years of our lives were you know, at least for me was just work, 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 and never taking a break. And now suddenly I get a break. And, you know, I, I did what most like idiots in the band would do. And I just started partying. And I was just like, man, I'm, I'm just going to live it up. Like I'm going to live, enjoy my life right now. You know, I built a studio and I'm like, I'm going to write and produce and just do this. And, and just enjoy everything we've done. And Justin was like, well, you know, Lance was like, I'm going to go to the moon. I'm doing this astronaut thing. And Joey was like, well, I'm going to do movies. And JC was like, well, I'm going to do a record. And so I was the only one that was kind of like, like had nowhere to go. Like I was just kind of like, all right, I'm just going to do drugs and drink myself into a coma or do whatever, which I kind of regret now, but it made me who I am. And, you know, it really was, it was, it was really difficult for me because I lost everybody. I lost my brothers. I lost my management. I lost everybody that was giving me the direction and kind of saying, all right, here you go, figure it out, you know, and I didn't figure it out. You know, I just couldn't figure it out and it was tough. But at the same time, Justin was coming out with a record. JC was coming out with a record and I was like, I'm going to support them because I couldn't, again, we talked about the parts. I was the high background guy. You know, I did all the high parts, did all the backgrounds. That was my job. Nobody wants to hear a record of high background guys, you know? (laughs) So it wasn't, wasn't easy for me to just go out and lay down an album, but it was easier for Justin and JC. So I was like, I'm going to go support them. So I'd go out on tour with Justin, you know, I'd go say, go see JC. I'd do writing sessions with JC or whatever. And it really it became a slow movement into the next chapter of my life. You know, the next, well, we're not, you know, it was never, we, we said it was a break, but it wasn't a break. It was a breakup. It was just a, you know, everybody's, we've done this together. We've, we've done pretty much everything we thought we could do together. And now let's all go off and, and find our own places. And, and we did, and we still are, you know, we're still, you know, and I feel like sometimes I'm still out there, again, figuring it out, you know, trying to figure out what my niche still is, but enjoying life. You know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, there's not a moment of regret in anything I've done. And at the same time, supportive of, of if Lance is doing a TV show or if Joey's doing a, a TV show or a movie, if JC's putting out a record or putting out some songs, if Justin's putting out a record, you know, I'm there for everybody and I, and you know, we still have this amazing bond to where the five of us, you know, we get together every once in a while. And when we do, it's like we sit in the room and don't say a word and just kind of look at each other and smile like, you know, what the hell? Right. You know? I love it. Uh, well, you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. No. Chicken tired of hearing all these people talk about 
What's the deal with this pop life and when is it gonna fade out? The thing you got to realize what we're doing is not a trend. We got the gift of melody, we're gonna bring it till the end. Come on, it doesn't now. matter. I'll be You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Sean. I'm back with Chris Kirkpatrick. And now let's talk about what is post in sync for you. So you talked about really kind of, I don't want to necessarily say directionless, but that's that's kind of um, didn't have no, anything. That's pretty good. All right. <laughs> that's pretty good directionless, right. you could say it. All right. All right. There we go. So you were a bit directionless afterwards. And I know there's, there's a bunch of stuff that we're going to touch on real quickly and just kind of high level. But I know there's, there's a few things that you did get involved with post sync. So you've got the Mission Man Band TV show. You were on Going Country 2. Um, and then, of course, you know, the most important thing to me, uh, you became a father. So there's... Uh, uh, being a parent myself, and that is one of the greatest gifts in life, and I absolutely love it. So I really want to have you walk us through. Um, let's start with that Mission Man Band. That for those that aren't aware, it was a reality show which got different members of different uh, groups like LFO in sync and brought y'all together to kind of form a new band uh, with new songs. So what was the kind of how did you necessarily get involved with that project, and what was that experience like for you? Um, that was something that I did not want to do more than anything on the planet. I mean, that was like, uh, we actually were doing, you know, we, we had all these shows we were doing just for fun, like party shows and things like that. And we were pitching a lot of stuff to MTV and VH1 and, you know, kind of like we were kind of jackass and doing all this stuff. And then, um, they pitched me that show and I was, you know, basically told them to go to hell. I'm like, they're they're not going to do that show. That's ridiculous. When four former boy band members It hurts when I say boy band Try to revive their careers The whole thing fizzled In a mansion in Orlando Huge boobs This thing's crazy With a ball-busting manager If you guys don't mean business, then I'm out And a Grammy-winning producer I cannot be a part of a whack project They'll battle their past The doctor told me you have leukemia You're not calling You haven't seen the worst of me And each other Don't interrupt me again I could just tell the thing was gonna blow up You gotta at least try We wanted to fire you I'm scared that something crazy could happen They have three weeks to become a band Every knee sucks I thought bowl of fish Don't even write that one down Create a hit The song's hot And convince the world that they deserve a record deal and a second shot. If they don't like it, there's no hope for us. I was pissed. There's no way it can be worse. We're trying to condense a year's worth of stuff into three weeks. When's the last time this happened to us? I want this thing so badly. Can they make lightning strike twice? What was I thinking? I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. This might be my last day. I said, I, I like to watch train wrecks, but I don't like to be on the train. So um, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't until, um, um, what's his, oh my God. Until um, I got a call when Jeff Timmons came on. Um, let's see, it was, uh, why am I drawing a blank right now? It's all good. Um, from LFO. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rich, oh, sorry. Yes, Rich Cronin. Yes. God, I don't, know, I don't know how I just drew a blank. It's okay. uh, but Rich Rich Cronin uh, called me up, and he was battling um, leukemia at the time. 
and him and I had become friends and, you know, he'd come down and we'd party together a bunch of times and, you know, became really, really close friends and, and he was doing some writing and he was actually an, an amazing writer and he approached me and said, um, M or MTV or VH1, whatever, I think it was VH1, talked to him about this, uh, super group type band. And I was like, yeah, I know they already talked to me about it. There's no way in hell I'm going to do it. And he goes, well, would you do it for me? Because I really need this right now. And I was like, oh man, you're pulling that card on me. I was like, all right. And, and hindsight, I'm, I'm glad I did it, you know, especially because, um, I got really close with Jeff Timmons from 98 degrees and, and yes. of course with Rich Cronin and Brian Abrams was also on from color me bad, but he was almost like the, almost a generation before us kind of. Right. And, um, but you know, me and Jeff really got along and me and Rich really got along. And, you know, again, it was one of those looking back, I'm, I'm glad I did it for them or for him, you know, since, especially since, you know, his passing and everything, but, I, I that was that was definitely I was not into it and I said my 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 um stipulations are you have to do it at my house and I have to have some kind of final say in everything that happens. Well, they did it at my house, but I had no final say in anything that happened. They kind of took that out of my hands, which you know, I was a little upset about, but again, I did it for Rich and you know, I'm glad I did it. We actually made a couple really good songs out of it and close friends out of it and that's all i have to say about that right <laughs> i think it's 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 difficult um how do i say this um for these type of reality shows to have a lot of sometimes sometimes to have a lot of staying power um and i think it's just you know, we talked about it at the beginning. I think this is the best way to say it. We talked about in the beginning about music evolves and, and changes with what's in po what's in uh, high demand at any given time. And so I think, um, you know, it, it may have been just a case of people wanting to recapture the, the essence of what was most popular earlier in the decade, but music had kind of moved on to the next version of that. Um and so it's just, it's difficult. And so I, I do love that you were able to get some positivity out of it because it, it, on paper, it, it does seem like a train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, and, and the crazy thing is that's what they kind of wanted to. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to let that happen, but that's good television. Right. But the problem is when that doesn't happen, it's not good television. So, you right. know, everything that happened, I kind of, you know, kibosh in the beginning saying, you know, I don't want you know, Brian had an alcohol problem and I'm like, then we will have no alcohol in the show. And, you know, and, and there was just, it ended up being me and Rich goofing off and telling jokes and telling stories and, and them trying to find random 
you know, things for us to do, that they get these crazy musicians in all these crazy situations and see how they react. And, you know, it was, uh, it was not, it was kind of what I thought it was going to be, but I signed up for it. So, you know, I, I was on board. Right. Now, let's take that experience and pair it with your experience on Going Country 2. What, what even, for those that aren't aware, it was a, it was a, a reality show on Country uh, CMT uh, hosted by John Rich, where artists are, um, I believe you were on there with different artists who were trying their hand at country music for the first time. Yeah. So what was, what even drew you to that idea? And then um, what was it like for you to kind of almost shift your, um, your musical stylings as well? I'm Chris Kirkpatrick and I've gone country. I'm most famous for being in the band NSYNC. Justin Timberlake made a couple solo records that are through the roof. Joey's been doing well. Lance has been doing well. So this is a chance for me to kind of step out and have my own identity and do something on my own. Look out, Nashville. Here I come. Well, I think, you know, first of all, it, it had helped that I'd done that other show because I was like, well, at least this one has a premise and it, and it makes sense. Like, this is me, you know, trying to go into another genre and write a country song. But again, you know, that one, that one was done a lot better, I think. And it was here in Nashville where I live now. And it was, it was just a lot more fun because, I mean, I was on with Jermaine Jackson. There was, Irene Cara was on for a day or so. Sean Young, uh, somebody who I had so much respect for doing the show with was uh, Michaela Gordon. And then um, Sebastian Bach was with us, who I was a big... We were talking about the old 80s bands and stuff, and I was a big Sebastian Bach fan. And um, Lorenzo Lamas was yes. on. And I, I, had, I made some really good friendships on there, but more importantly, you know, I made some really good connections with John Rich, with... Uh, with the two guys that I wrote with Trevor Rosen, who is now in uh, the band Old Dominion. And, um, you know, there was, there was just really, it, it was, it was a good experience because it, it helped me, first of all, understand Nashville, you know, and I ended up moving here and, and, you know, now I've been living here for years and, and I love the town. And also again, kind of get the other one, out of my memory and just kind of, you know, go with this one. But, but again, it, it, again, it came down to the friendships and, and the people that were on the show that, you know, I kept in touch with and, and more people I met through the show that I got to keep in touch with. And it was, it was a fun, it was fun to do. It was fun to get out of my bubble. See, there it was there, there was no losing in the game because I'm not a country artist, you know, I'm, I'm right. a pop guy coming in and, trying to write some country music. So there was nothing, if I didn't do it, people were like, yeah, well, he's not a country artist, which I understand. But, you know, it, it challenged me and it, and it made me, again, instead of like we were talking about disassembling music, I was disassembling genres and understanding what about country music or what was it, you know, that, that it's more of a story and a hook than it is a hook and 
pyro or or whatever you know it was and it was really it was fun to to immerse myself in the culture and really you know i had a blast yeah i am interested in your perspective and now you know we talked about early in the in the episode and then throughout we trace this this team camaraderie and being part of a group. And I think this is really one of those first major opportunities where you're doing a solo act at that point. And, and I would love to know what influence did that have on your, on any decision you made since then to pursue music as a solo act? Um, I don't know. Again, it just, it just comes down to, you know, I mean, I had a I had a band that I did too called Nigel's Eleven. That, you know, I had a great couple guys that were that I wrote with, and you know, one of my best friends, Mike Bosch, um, was in a band called Gotti Thirteen, and then him and I, you know, did Nigel's together, and and we also became business partners and started a working class industry, to where you know we had a studio and we would produce bands and and kind of help. Uh, up and coming bands not get screwed like we got screwed and really like you know it it was fun to kind of start all over with somebody else and not you know i mean the band stuff we did was me singing the the, the leads and the backgrounds and everything but it was a little more you know kind of quirky cake like uh, jellyfish like rock that was just kind of different and fun to me and you know, I still like to write music and, and I still, you know, I've, I've got tons of music that I've, I've sang on and, you know, I'm doing a project now called ATCK, which is all the cool kids that, um, uh, AJ from the Backstreet Boys is involved in. And, um, it's all, it's all, it's fun, but I always, I always liked groups. Like it just, it's more comfortable for me to be in a band, you know, sure, rather sure. than just to be a solo artist, because obviously I don't have the solo artist mentality or when the band stopped, I would have had a record, you know, it just wasn't yeah. in the cards with me. I love that. So now let's fast forward, um, putting the music on pause, uh, no, no pun intended there, um, for a moment and dig into your relationship with your spouse and then, transitioning into parenthood how how is it like for you how did you meet your spouse and then how has it been as well um now that your son is i think your son is just a little bit younger than mine he's what over two he'll be now three in he? october three my son just turned three so there we go um yeah. <laughs> so uh so yeah let's walk walk through that journey in the new phase of your personal life well you know first first thing we did was you know i met my wife she was working for the Orlando Magic, and I'd go in and do a lot of events for the Magic, and I chased her for about two years. But, you know, here she was seeing this guy who she'd come over to my house. I invited her to some of the parties and stuff, and she walked into the house, and she's like, is this guy, like, serious? <laughs> like, there's hundreds of people here, drunk, you know, doing all this stuff, and he invited me over, and I haven't even seen him, you know? And it was just like, she's like, this guy's like, a piece of work and I was a piece of work <laughs> but you know when finally she went out with me and you know we started dating and I knew I, I used to tell her I said just go out with me one time and we'll be together forever and she's like shut up and sure enough you know we dated for a couple years and then I proposed and we got married and we knew we always wanted kids and 
it was kind of difficult for us in the kids um, department but we got really really lucky with with my little boy and it's it's just been you know another new chapter it's just this yeah, whole yeah. you know parenting side which i love more than anything but there's a lot of stuff i loved doing before that i can't do anymore or stuff that i hated before that now i love and you know it it's it's you know being a father it it you realize you're not living for yourself anymore. You're living for yeah. someone else, but more importantly, you're living through someone else. So you're starting, you're starting all over again through their eyes and you want everything to be perfect. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to where, you know, through the band and through what I've done, my connections and my friends that I can provide him with a really cool life and a really cool lifestyle. And it's, it's really great to watch him go through every phase of his life where I don't remember half the things I did before I was 10, you know, and, and, but now I'm getting to relive this and, and play with toys and not look like a weirdo anymore or watch the weird cartoons and not look like a weirdo. And, you know, really just watching how I am at teaching someone else life. And so far we're pretty good at it, but you know, hopefully he doesn't grow up to be a serial killer. Right. I mean, that's always the goal. Um, but I, I love how you're talking about this, this new way of living. And that's, that's the way I've described being a parent before is like, you know, I can't, I can't just, everybody always says, and it is the biggest cliche in the world that, um, there's nothing like it, right. There's yeah. nothing like it in the world. And I used to go, yeah, okay. But, but describe it. And I, I you can't, I mean, yeah. when my daughter was born, she's over five, uh, now, when she was born, it was this inter, and I tell people this all the time, it was an internal switch that flipped where I was holding her and realized I'm, my life is done. I'm now living solely for her. Right. Like everything, every decision I'm making, every big little step that I'm taking is all with her in mind, her immediate thought, her future, like how is this going to impact her life in her world and and really knowing that parenting is like having your heart outside of your body running around and you can only do so much to protect it is the hardest thing but then getting to see them grow and learn and do things that you can do but also do things that you never would have thought to do is what's fascinating my um I mean, I have a little bit of musical background and just having a theater degree, but my son is already demonstrating this love for music and this um, natural ability that I definitely never had. And it's, it's like, okay, what do I, you know, what do I do? How yeah. do I, how do I help nurture this? And it's, it's been, luckily I have a sister-in-law that's uh, going, trying to be a, a elementary education uh, or is elementary education major, uh, music major. So she's helping along that path. But I just, I get, I, I love this so much and I, I love seeing this. So I, what I would love to know, so bringing it back to you, um, would be what are some um, things that you are looking forward to doing as your son's getting older and older? Well, that's everything. I mean, and again, right. it's, it's the stupidest things that I've done a million times, but 
you know, when he does it, it's a completely different world because you see the joy and you see that this is something I created. This is something that, you know, I have to do with. And, and in getting to your point with when people say, you know, when you ask, tell me what it's like, you know, I'm an, I'm an older father. You know, I started being a dad late in my life. And, you know, I look at it now that it's the best time for me to do it because, you know, I had my partying time. I've had all that stuff out of there. And now I can just enjoy every moment of this. And, you know, I, I remember asking everybody, you know, my whole life, my sisters, my family, you know, tell me about being a parent, whatever. And then they talk and I just kind of tune them out. You know, it's just kind of like, yeah, okay, sure. And they tell you all these things and you're like, yeah. And the only thing I realized was that no matter what anybody tells you, the only, the only reality and truth is you don't know. You know, and that's the only thing you can go. And by you don't know, I mean things like when my wife was pregnant, we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. You know, I'm watching South Park and those 800, 900 number commercials come on with girls, you know, in what lingerie or whatever going, call me now. And I'm watching it going, you know, back in the day, I'm like, yeah, she's hot. All right, she's hot. She's hot. And now my wife's pregnant. I'm watching South Park, not knowing if I'm going to have a daughter. And I'm like, why doesn't that girl have clothes on? Like, somebody's somebody's her father out there looking at this girl going that's my daughter on tv like what you know it, it yeah. things that you don't you don't prepare for you don't ever think you know you think you can it's just like with the band we when we thought we wanted to be big you thought you could prepare for anything and here you are in a van crammed together and there are girls screaming and pounding on the windows of your van like acting like they want to kill you or just get a piece of you and you're freaking out and you're like, there's no way we could have thought about this or prepared for this. It's it's like the kid. It's it's really there's nothing there's nothing you do that you think can prepare you for it. And as long as you know that, then you're ahead of the game. Like as long as you know that you can't prepare for it, you're ahead of the game. That's so key. Well, as we're wrapping up here, this has been a fantastic, fantastic episode. I want you to uh, leave us with, is there one piece of advice you would like to give uh, someone who wants to possibly break into the music industry and uh, possibly one mantra that you have for yourself as well? Um, yeah, I'd probably just say uh, if, if you're breaking into the business to be famous, you're already counting yourself out like it's I, I broke into the business luckily because you know I loved music I loved doing harmonies I loved you know singing acapella stuff with you know with people and once you if you're in it for the love of being in it you know you it, it's not work and you'll have the best life you'll ever have if you're in it for other reasons or you know there's underlying things you want to do rather than do those things or be you know if you want to be famous there's other ways of being famous you know do that but if if you love music you know again it's easy for me to say now because you know of our success but you know I know that I loved what I did so much even if we wouldn't have been successful I would have had a great time doing it and and I enjoyed every second of it and you have to enjoy it even the work even even the stupid things that you have to do or you don't understand 
how algebra is going to help you in the real world, you know, do it and enjoy doing it. And, you know, you'll always, always be gratified and satisfied with your life. There you go. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Of course. And here to play us out one more time is Chris Kirkpatrick.
This podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.